going on, ladies and gentlemen? It gives me great pleasure to welcome you back once again to Fighting Fire with Fire, the AJ Rose Show. A time of recording, it is 1.28 p.m. on Monday, August 3rd, 2020. And with me on the other end of this Zoom call is our dear friend, Edward Eddie Brown. Eddie, say hi to the people. Ahoy, ahoy. How's everyone doing? Uh, you and I have spent the last couple days of this, this extended quarantine and we may be in for an, uh, an even more extended quarantine in the fall or winter, but we're not talking about that today. Because nope. we've spent the last couple of days watching the NBA restart in the bubble. The first couple of days of the seeding games that have taken place in the NBA. And we are on this podcast today to talk about that and to specifically talk about our beloved Boston Celtics. Eddie, how does it feel to have the NBA back in your life? We were just talking about this before this started, but it, it's like... It's like people who care about the Olympics. I imagine this is what they, this is the gift that they receive once every four years. Like I have daytime basketball. Uh, the game starting right now is this, uh, you know, it's, who is it? It's heat and um, the, the heat are playing a game. What is it? The heat are playing tonight? The heat are playing right now. And it's a oh. great game. It's um, the heat are playing the Raptors right now. Oh my God. And, and it's a Monday at one thirty. And uh, that's a huge game because the Celtics play the Heat tomorrow night, and they mm-hmm. are now just a game and a half up on the Heat for the, the three, three versus the four seed. And yeah. what has been – have you noticed some distinct – is it a distinct downgrade watching these bubble games compared to watching the games before the season got canceled? Um, no, it's not. I thought that the quality of basketball was going to be worse. Um, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, number one, you'd think would be the fans. Um, one thing I have noticed is different is the energy of the players and at least the theatrics of it, right? Like, of course, you're going to behave differently when you perform something in a gym, you know, the, the situation these players would have been in most similar to this would be like practice. Honestly, like, like I see scrimmages before the Olympic Games, right, where all these players are playing together in, like, a huge gym with all these coaches and, and staff surrounding them. That's what this looks like. And instead, you have – this is being televised. They have these weird fan images up on the side, which I – is strange. Um, I wasn't a huge fan. It was always kind of weird to me. And then I saw uh, Deuce sitting next to Paul Pierce on a giant – young and I was kind of – I, that was sort of like, you know what, where else but in the bubble. So, and I actually, one of my one of my favorite bubble games that I've watched recently was the Raptors-Lakers game that was on the other mm-hmm. night. And watching, it's interesting to see which players can still bring the same level of heat uh, in this environment, namely mm-hmm. Kyle Lowry. Like, Kyle Lowry's ability to be such a bulldog in a stadium where he's, you know, he's sort of Canada's son in terms of basketball. I mean, that guy is Toronto basketball. But seeing how he's just yelling and, and fired up and, and sort of, uh, you know, stro- strolling down the sidelines and, and putting on a show, I think some players have that ability to continue to bring this sort of like gladiator energy to an arena without fans. And that's been an interesting distinction. Definitely. And Kyle Lowry and the Raptors looked very, very good in that game against the Lakers, particularly defensively. They have a chance to make the finals. And we I agree. Record, we recorded a podcast before this restart started and we talked for 45 minutes and rambled and shook off the rust, the podcast rust, but I don't think we gave the Raptors enough love. I think objectively they probably have a better chance to make the finals at this juncture than the Celtics do. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I, I think that the teams have a lot of similarities, um, both well-coached 
teams, um, both defensive powerhouses. I mean, the Raptors have one of the best defenses in the NBA, which is why I know it's not the award, uh, but I was a little irked that um, Nick Nurse didn't win the coach's vote for coach of the year. And they yeah, came out today, Woj tweeted out that the coach of the year is being split between Mike Budenholzer and Billy Donovan. That right? is correct. Yep. Which, which, by the way, both, I mean, both great coaches and great picks for that award. But honestly, man, I, I, I saw a great tweet and it was just like, uh, it was Nick Nurse seeing all the coaches who use his style winning the award over him. And it was and Soldier it was Boy. Soldier Boy. He stole he my flow. My flow. <laughs> word for word, bar for bar. So I, I, I think uh, if I'm Nick Nurse, I, I'm, I'm upset. Uh, I don't think he really cares that much. I, I love Nick Nurse. He's, he's probably my favorite uh, non-Brad Stevens. He's probably my favorite coach in the NBA. Yeah. And the Raptors and Celtics have never played each other in the playoffs in their franchise's history. And it's been a long time coming. And I hope we still get that in the second round. But in order to get there, the Celtics have to hang on to this three seed. They have played two games thus far. You and I, this is an NBA pod ostensibly, but it is also a Celtics, a Celtics heavy podcast because you and I live and die by the Celtics right now in our zoom. You can see my 2008 Mm -hmm. championship flag hanging in the background. The Celtics, Lost to the Bucks in a game where they started out down 17 to 2. And then they were up 24 on the Blazers, and the Blazers did what they do and came oh back. And, took the lead. and the Celtics closed it out with really some, some, some sh- shot making that isn't necessarily reliable game to game crunch time. To Let's crunch say time. Jalen Brown closed that game out for us. Jalen Brown put up how many points in the fourth quarter? It was like he, he had 22 in the second half. And I think at least 12 of those were in the fourth quarter. And uh, I, I think that if Jalen Brown doesn't hoist him out, I, I think that's one of Brad Stevens' worst coach games in recent memory. Right, um, he, his he, I was just going to say, his refute canter. canter into a game. He took a game in which we were up by – 20 points he allowed our players to squander it away with lazy play he kept mediocre defenders out on the floor we want to talk about um i know we mentioned maybe discussing a little bit of grant williams i think this is a game mm-hmm. in which you've got to give grant williams minutes i know he gets a lot of fouls um but we ask him to play a very physically heavy defensive game and plus he's a rookie so those those fouls are sort of uh, they were, they're going to come no matter what to put in Ennis Cantor in the waning minutes of a game in which McCollum and Lillard are lighting you up. Like it's target practice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, Nurkic is having a, a, a career performance. He, it was so encouraging because his injury was so gruesome and most dudes are not themselves for a year after they come back. And it seems like maybe because he's such a big boy and he doesn't rely on, you know, it's not like Derrick Rose coming back and trying to be an otherworldly torque athlete. Nurkic was great. And he, not many people really big boy, Daniel Tice, but he, he, he did a really good job. And I hope that the Blazers get into the playoffs. Cause I want to see them, you know, I want I want Nurkic to try and big boy, Anthony Davis in the playoffs. I mean, I'm, I'm here for that. I, and, and I think that, you know, I was talking to my dad. My dad is a Celtics fan ostensibly, but he's not a huge NBA guy. And he was asking, like, what's the deal with the Blazers? And I was like, what is the deal with the Blazers? Like, I, I you know, obviously you look at the record and, and you assume, you know, and, you know, no fan of this podcast would not know the rough situation, I think, with the, with the Blazers. But, but the idea that they are entering the playoff situation at full force for the first time, essentially this season to gain yep. any, it's such an interesting, you know, can a team create momentum and regain its footing or find a new identity for itself with its full host 
in the bubble. I mean, you know, this the bubble is one of the first times that the the, the scrimmages and in, in the first games from the first time that the Celtics lineup has been completely healthy. That that really hasn't happened but all of course, year. But of course, Eddie, the Celtics lineup isn't completely healthy because Kemba Walker is on a minutes. Right, right. So. You know, not on, he's not listed on any on a, he's not on any lists. Is I guess the point. You know, I, I, we we know what his situation is. He's getting minutes and he's playing basketball. And and if it wasn't for Kemba's, you know, very valuable twenty three minutes in in the in the he's game against spry. against the first of all, he is. I, I know he's got a knee injury, and I, I've been you know trying to shoot more hoops for myself recently and, and play a little more athletically, even just in practice. And in the amount that you use your knee in basketball, like I know in any sport, right? Like you're the stopping and starting, the the acceleration and deceleration that Kemba can do, his agility. Like, he's not the fastest guy on the court. He's definitely the most agile guy on the court. And he has an ability to – that's what lets him weave under big men and punish them under the rim and uh, also – and finish under the rim. But I think, you know, Kemba's signature shot is his ability to stop and start on the three-point line and, and pull up on these – you know, he, he comes down with a full head of steam doing doing 60 miles per hour. He he hits the three-point line, and he just pops up. He float. It's almost like he floats through the air as he pops up these threes. I, I think that he looks fantastic. I think that his minutes restriction is I, – I am, I am glad that the medical staff is keeping him healthy. Um, I think that when the playoffs come and we need to get minutes, I mean, he looks good. His minutes are increasing every game. And I think we'll see a fully healthy Kemba by the time the playoffs roll around. And I think he'll be able to, to give those performances that, you know, for the first time in his career, I mean, who wants to be in these games more than Kemba Walker who's finally on a contending basketball team? There were a couple of shots of him on the sidelines during the waning minutes of that Celtics Blazers game where it looked like it was just ripping him apart at the seams that he could not play in that game. Uh, a couple of tiny notes from that game. One, I think that very few athletes get in the NBA get to the point where Dame Lillard does, where I just assume every shot he takes is going in, and he has a green light. He pulled up a couple shots that would make Steph Curry blush. He took and missed in that game, and I think everybody was fine with it. Yeah, of course. He's, he's got the total green light. He has an insane range, and I – I mean, another interesting conversation with the NBA is who who are the clutch gene leaders, right? Because I think Dame is certainly clutch. He he is captain clutch. Right. The the Chris Paul was by metrics the most clutch player in the NBA this year. Him, Shea Gildas Alexander, and Dennis Schroeder all shot over fifty percent in um, in uh, games in the final five minutes where the scores within five points either way. That's designated clutch minutes. Um, but they. I think if, if the game is on the line in terms of who you want to have the ball, Dame is very, very, very near the top of the list. Yes, certainly. And, and I think that, like, you know, I'm watching this game and I'm thinking to myself, I understand, you know, we couldn't hold that 20-point lead the whole game. It wasn't going to be like that. You and, – and the Celtics play the Blazers well. I mean, both Tatum and uh, Brown put up great numbers the last time we played uh, the Blazers. But you cannot – keep McCollum and Lillard that low not for a whole game 40, not for 40 minutes of basketball doesn't happen can't do it so so then if you what you have to do is you have to understand with players like that like look they're gonna go off something's gonna happen right like they're just that they're in that genre of player so you have to create the, that's where your coaching comes in 
And that's where you have to come up with rotations and with matchups and with schemes that are going to, at the very least, absorb the blow of when those guys go off. And I, I think, truly, I think Brad Stevens completely failed to do that. I, I was very disappointed in that game. And I, I think that that is, I think for me, Brad Stevens' Achilles heel as a coach is his uh, conservatism. That's mm. not a word. Um, I, I, think, I think that he, he has a tendency to, he can be a little too passive. I think in, in a lot of moments, I think that is his, his letting, great coach. That's letting things play out. Uh, yep. well, I want to talk about the Celtics relationship to both facial hair and head mm-hmm. hair, mm-hmm. because there seems to be an inverse relationship between how Celtics do in terms of cutting their, their hair. Jason Tatum cuts his admittedly subpar hair, hairdo uh, from the first game. I thought it was subpar. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm biased and looks like the Jason Tatum that we, we know he got a fresh cut and not only looks like it physically, but looks like it on the court and scores 34 points and gets to the line and is, is the Jason Tatum from before the break. And like with Jason Tatum, you can tell where he's at just visually looking at his shots. Like he has this like visual element to his shooting, especially when he's creating shots for himself. It's so chaotic. And like, he's so, he, he moves so frantically to create shots for himself. He's just, I, I think watching him play and like the intensity with which he was making shots for himself was like, just visually you could see he was back. And on the other end of that, Gordon Hayward Ugh. throwing out his stash. Dirt bag. The dirt bag, dirt bag Gordon Hayward, free from the clutches of Robin Hayward. Yes. And her, her Trump campaign contributing behind. And sorry to bring that up. I know that no, it, it just has to be said. That's why she's hated by uh, weird Celtics Twitter. Hashtag WCT. Uh, he's free from that. He's free from his three and a half kids. Mm-hmm. He's got a fourth one on the way. He's just gaming. Just gaming. Just gaming. While Brad Stevens takes his infinite walks around the lake, Gordon Hayward is just gaming. The, the, the talk about Stevens walking around the lake is so funny. because it's That like, makes so much sense to me, too. No like, way it's not true. I forget that he's not Mormon constantly. Like you just look at him and he has the most like, of course, like, what are you doing in the bubble? I'm just walking around this lake. Oh, cool. Like, do you, do you listen to music? Uh, no, I do not. Oh, okay. Well, what do you do? I just sort of walk. Do you think about things? Yeah, sure. What would Brad Steve, if Brad Stevens was a baseball player, what would his walkout music be? Oh my God. It'd be like ABBA or something, and he would and he would like <laughs> giggle to himself every time because he thinks he's being bad. He'd take a chance on me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's no there's no hated metaphor joke that, there. Just, that that would be amazing. Or uh, just like or just like Fleetwood Mac or something. But but to to get back to Hayward, Hayward has played the exact kind of basketball in these first two games that the Celtics are going to need him to play if they mm-hmm. want to make a finals run. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been kind of the perfect fourth guy if you take Kemba, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown as the first. Absolutely. 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 And his defense looks good. Um, the defense generally looks good for most, for most of that Bucks game. After that abysmal start, they played really good defense on the Bucks. Yes. It was a tough start. And then I, 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 I hated that game. I hated everything about that game. It was so ugly really? to me. Oh, it was brutal. It was I didn't enjoy Oh, you could please. Some things were encouraging. Brad Wanamaker, who gets a lot of understandable flack for being maybe underqualified to be a backup uh, guard, a third guard. Brad, Brad Stevens loves him. Yeah, and he played really well in that Bucks game. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, is a 90-something percent free throw shooter. But whenever, yeah, whenever Brad Wanamaker takes more than two foul shots and a half, you know that uh, the NBA games are getting called too tight. I think that's another point we should make, that the NBA um, oh my God. first couple of days have been called really, really tight, tight. Far too tight. And Far too tight. And, and, and you think – it up as they go. I, I, I think, like, I was sort of blown away by that because I felt like in the scrimmages they really let them play. Did you get that sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And hey, if Hayward is going to be under control, and he had a, a really important bucket uh, in the final two minutes of that Blazers game where he is probably the best, one of the best forwards in the league at doing the Chris Paul uh, come around to pick when the guy's trailing, get him on his mm-hmm. back, and then make the uh, uh, be in between and make the big commit and make the read. Um, something that Jason Tatum needs to get better at. But Agreed. That's, that's, that's neither here nor there. Hayward uh, uh, shoot, shot a good percentage on threes. He doesn't seem like he's affected by the thought of his ankle at all. He seems nope. physically fine. And as, was, as is the case with C.J. McCollum and T.J. Warren, who dropped 53 on the Sixers, and a handful of players, Kawhi, obviously, if you have a player whose bread and butter is getting a mid-range shot for himself, there's no mm-hmm. better time to have that than crunch time of a playoff game. And that will service the Celtics really well because they have multiple guys who can do that. And Hayward is one of them. He's also probably the best secondary ball handler, capable secondary ball handler on the team. It's, I, I really like where he's at. I, I completely agree with that. And I think that um, I, I, I find that in games where things are sliding and in games where uh, certain players are hot and cold and everything, I, I found this year in particular that Gordon Hayward has been a very – very calming presence on the court and I think that he sort of brings I mean you know there's obviously just he has this sort of very very maybe too laid back personality I think but like I think that translates to positive on the court like I find him to be very consistent I find when games are are looking like they're slipping from us or we're losing control or things are up in the air I always feel better with him on the court Um, something about the way he plays he plays with so much control he his, his body control is great, obviously, in terms of his actual ability to, like, get to the hoop, to, to drop fouls, to keep defenders on his back. He, he, moves, he, he moves very close and tight around screens. He's able to um, play on-ball defense extremely well. He, one of my favorite things about him, we've talked about this before, is his ability to – I'll use the same words for Kemba, though. It looks very different with Gordon Hayward – it's not necessarily that he has, you know, sort of Jason Tatum-like handles or, or Campbell-like handles, but his ability to accelerate and decelerate. I use those words again, like mm-hmm. to pace. His pace is probably a better way to say it for him. That to me, like defenders, when he's coming down like the middle, he gets around that pick at the top of the three arc and he starts to move in. You don't know what to do with him. You don't know if he's going to slow down and pop up for a floater or if he's going to, you know, put a shoulder down and get under you for, for a layup and an and one. Or, or if he's going to take his, you know, two steps, make a decision, then he's going to kick the ball out, right? Like, I, I think he's just very present. Um, he, he always makes really good decisions with the basketball. Mm-hmm. And tight, tight defensive rotations, as has been the case for all the Celtics wings. Um, even when Jason Tatum didn't play well against the Bucs, uh, a team that's almost specifically designed to thwart players like him. Yes. He, still had, he still played pretty good defense. The Bucs' other game after they beat the Celtics was last night when the Houston Rockets beat them. And the Rockets had a miraculous escape win uh, in overtime against the uh, Mavericks, uh, 153-149. And then they beat the Bucs last night. So they're 2-0 in the bubble. And they are 
just fascinating, and I think you've come around on them. I have, Big time. I have been not driving that bandwagon, but I've really loved their whole their whole mentality from Daryl Morey on down of saying, "Fuck it, we are going to shoot." They shot. They attempted sixty-one three-pointers last night, and that obviously that's partially because the Bucks just don't let you get into the paint. And the no. Rockets are kind of fine with that, other than yeah, I mean that's they're designed for that, right? And you, we, the Rockets' thing is we have two players who can go north south, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and they are going to do what they are going to do. And they did draw a bunch of fouls. Westbrook hit a bunch of clutch free throws last night, which is something yeah. that I was not accustomed to him to see, seeing him do for the last three years in OKC. His foul shooting was really erratic and and kind of fell off a cliff which is one of my which is a huge red flag for a superstar like i think one of the defining features of a superstar is your ability to get to the line specifically in moments that's why in the playoffs like great shooters are always at the line um in the big moments of the game and if you can't capitalize on that i mean the the bucks game you know was so close and then at the beginning we missed a ton of free throws at the beginning in that game that came back to bite us later on and you know, I, I like to watch games with my mom. My mom's like an old school 80s Celtics fan and uh, hasn't, you know, really fallen in a long time. But she can't even watch a game as soon as she sees a guy miss a free throw. You know, I know it's like men, so much of it's mental. All these guys have the mechanical ability mm-hmm. to, you know, knock out just hundreds of these. But like, it's true. There is this unbelievable frustration where it's like, you did it. You did the hard work. You were at the line. You have your free throws. Like, it's so funny. It always feels like putting in golf to me. Like just, just the mental pressure of hitting clutch free throws. So I, it was really good to see him hit those, capitalize on opportunities. And, and the Bucks defense is so good. They don't hand out opportunities at the line uh, for free. So And they, uh, I still think we, in our podcast that is now lost to the sands of time that we did before this bubble, both of us, picked the Bucks to make the finals and win the title. I'm sti- I'm sticking by that. I'm sticking by that pick even though the Clippers have looked uh pretty pretty good in their two games. I know they lost to the Lakers but they um eviscerated who did they absolutely clobber? Oh, the Pelicans, the Pelicans. right? Yeah. Oh my god. That was right a revenge game. And, and that was like that was like watching a dad bully his son and then watching the son go to middle school and just like bully a smaller kid. Like that was <laughs> that was a cycle of violence if if nothing else. And, and, and they are, you know, the Clippers, Lakers, and Bucks are in a tier by themselves. I'm picking the Bucks still. But the Rockets are this awesome, yeah. very obvious dark horse high variance candidate. And I don't think they'd be able to do it if they had played a full regular season because their bodies, P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington's cyborg bodies are <sighs> going to give out at some point. And Harden's, and Harden's for that matter. He's, mm-hmm. he's completely mesmerizing. He gets, He's fearless under the, he gets, under the he gets, basket. He gets trapped and double teamed on every single pick and roll the way really only him and Steph Curry get treated like that. And occasionally Dame Lillard. And he still casually puts up 40 pieces all the time yeah. and is a great passer and gets to the line 50, you know, whatever it is, uh, to a double digit times a game. And, and I think that this playoff run has a chance – to change how people talk about both him and Russell Westbrook. And that's what I want. I want them to maybe not even just push the Lakers or Clippers all the way to the brink to beat one of those teams would be kind of a career defining moment for him and Westbrook. I I love it. And I I think, you know, James Harden, I did you it's a fair call out. I used to, I, when I was first really getting into bat, like the modern NBA, I, I was very, 
frustrated by James Harden. Um, I thought that the way he played was, uh, you know, I found I thought he was exploiting a lot about the NBA that I found he still does. Un- he is exploiting. he still does. He is certainly doing it. I at first only found that frustrating and unsatisfying to watch, and I've really I'm with you. I've come around on it. I mean, the man's a genius, and 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 if he wasn't so good, he would be uh, he would be miserable to watch, and it wouldn't be exciting at all. But what makes him such a great heel is like his ability to his ability to play pure, pure basketball when the opportunity arises. And then when he needs to get buckets, it, you know what, at the end of the day, you do it to you. I can't sit here and be a Marcus Smart fan. Uh, <laughs> a Marcus Smart, a Marcus Smart diehard. Uh, and, and and knock, you know, yuck someone else's yum for, for the same type of, you know, uh, playing with the rules and, and being a very frustrating anti-hero. I, I respect so- it. Weird Celtics Twitter talks about grifting calls out of the referees. The grift, the great grift, yeah, absolutely. And that is something that the GOAT, Michael Jordan, was great at in the 90s when not as many people were doing it. That's what LeBron does constantly. That's what Jason Tatum is getting better at. That's what our boy Paul Pierce did that for years and years and years. There's calls out of the refs. So a lot of the best players, Jimmy Butler does it now. Harden obviously does it. If, you, if you're able to manipulate the system, if the refs are going to call a game a certain way, and we talked last night when we were texting about how Harden has changed the way – Harden and Curry have kind of changed the way the game is refereed because they protect the jump shooters the way, you know, NFL referees protect quarterbacks now. And that's not anybody's fault necessarily. And it, no, it's, it's the product, right? People want to see a game in which, you know, you're jacking up threes, you get – you know, the the <laughs> – Total is you're reaching. It leaves guys like points. it leaves guys like Daniel Tice out to dry. Yeah, I'm, and I and Tice. I will. I I don't know what he did. I don't know <laughs> what. I don't know what kind of back alley mahjong game, high stakes mahjong game he lost. What what he's running away from, but but it has found him in the NBA refs. They. I have never seen anything like it. And this isn't even, I'm taking my Homer glasses off. Tice is a victim, man. It is, it is truly. Now, like, again, does Tice commit a bunch of fouls? Yeah, I mean, he's an undersized center. He, ha- he has to, to bully a little bit and, and do. But, oh, my goodness, some of those calls leave even national broadcasters in, in complete, just flummoxed. Particularly uh, Giannis uh, hip-checking him and not getting a sixth foul was one, the most frustrated I've been with a You say hip-check. I think he Buddha-palmed his groin. Like, it looked like he was about to come out the back of him. Uh, and, and Giannis stayed in the game, and then there was a, there was a sort of a bang-bang uh, block charge call with Marcus Smart, which I thought was a block, and I hate, I hate it when um, people like Smart or Lowry or Kemba or Chris Paul or whomever, an undersized guy slides under a guy who's already in the air. Yeah, I really that's don't a, like that's, that. That's, that's a block, and, you know, that's, that's, his, that's his game. And I remember in the moment I was like, that's, that's a charge, you know, because, I, again, I would, I would do anything <laughs> for Marcus Smart. That being said, like – Watch the replay, man. The guy's up in the air, and his foot is still sliding. And and even with a little bit of um, generosity on on what when he is set, it's still like he was moving when Giannis took off. And look, that's frustrating. I honestly, be, maybe because he has enacted it so much upon the Boston Celtics, I have grown to find Giannis's game more frustrating to watch than uh, James Harden's. Because even though Giannis has this ability to you know. The, the way he finishes every shot is electric. He just you know, jumps from the three-point line and he just slams it. But that being said, he 
there's nothing you can do to stop him. He yeah, understands the- and exploits that as he should and would. And frankly, the whistles that get called in the way that you have to defend him does not make for a very exciting game for me. Yeah, I, 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 the way that Giannis, because he's relentless and he's the most physical, he's the most athletic player, not only in the NBA, but maybe in the history of the NBA, that he has to be refed a certain way because he gets fouled all the time. This is the way that, you know, people talk about how Shaq got refereed back in the day and that you can, you have to call a lot of fouls on Shaq because he gets fouled every play. I think that the way defenses wall up on Giannis, you, there's only, there's only so, you can only be so clean in how you defend yeah. him. It's, it's, it's like we talked about with Tice, like his situation where uh, he has to call foul. Undersized players playing a more physically gifted player, you just make the, you have to make the decision. Like, I'd rather just foul the guy and, and stop an easy bucket. And that everyone in the NBA is forced to do that to Giannis, who is, I mean, and again, love him, love his game. Uh, I just like him as a player and as, as a new head of the NBA. But that being said, like, I, it is, it is a brutal game. It is a truly brutal game. A couple last points before we get out of here, Eddie. One is about the Rockets and about the fact that they – you look at them and you, they, they, the games are in the 120s, 130s, 140s even, <laughs> and you're like, there's no defense. Defense is optional, this and that. The, what's apparent to me after watching these two games is that they know that they cannot crank it up on defense for 48 minutes. Their bodies cannot do that. They're going to – more or less rest on defense uh, for the first 43 minutes of a game. But then when it comes to nut crunching time mm-hmm. and PJ Tucker and Robert Covington are dial it all the way up. They all have even Harden. They have some great hands. They get a lot of deflections. And Harden has Harden is not the league's best defender by any means, but he has, you're right. He has a really nice set of defensive hands. He's quick. And he knows how to capitalize on people's mistakes. I've been another part of his game. I've been really impressed by when they get deflections and steals and they're, they're walling up and uh, PJ Tucker will go uh, have Brooke Lopez or Giannis trying to back him down and they just can't back him down. And they have yeah. to take that, that turnaround eight footer where they're leaning forward, but Tucker's just not moving back an inch <laughs> and Lopez makes some of those shots, but it's just PJ Tucker might be my second favorite player in the league after clay. Who I wish was in this bubble, but that's a that's a different that's a different conversation. I, yeah. uh, I, I I want the Rockets to do well. I still think that the Bucks are going to win the East and win the, the finals. And we did not talk much about the Lakers and Clippers yet, but we are going to do that on a future pod because I want to have sure. you back, Eddie. The Celtics are in a decent spot. They are healthy aside from Kemba's knee and minutes restriction. We're going to see. It's encouraging that he looked as spry as he looked. Uh-huh. It feels truly preventative, right? Like, I think sometimes you get these guys on minute restrictions and it's almost like, okay, like, what's happening here? Like, is he good? Is he not good? He looks different. His game's not the same. But for Kemba, it looks like he is on a healthy path. Uh, his ga- he's, It's a good sign that his game does not look different. He is not changing things to accommodate uh, a sort of an injured knee. So I, I would much rather the medical staff take good, good care of him and make sure that he comes back fully healthy because we are going to need him. It was overall just really one of the highlights of quarantine was these couple days. Really one of the highlights of quarantine was these couple days watching all this basketball. I'm really happy that you and myself and a lot of of our friends have found a similar joy in having the NBA be back. I missed it. It lifts my spirits. I'm really, really 
just chomping at the bit to see how this all plays out because the level of play is good. The guys don't have to worry about crashing into reporters and cameramen and photographers yes. on the sidelines. There's a little bit more reckless abandon. The, the fan noise piped in kind of works. I know it's a little obnoxious. It kind of works. The presentation works. Hopefully everybody stays healthy. Eddie, do you have anything uh, in closing to say before we get on out of here? Sure. Uh, one thing I, another thing I really like about the new presentation of the games and the way that ESPN has been running it is the very authentic way in which they've linked the experience of the NBA and the WNBA. I have found myself because I'm glued to the TV all day. Now it helps that I'm a teacher on summer break, so I'm not doing anything, <laughs> uh, but I found myself interchangeably watching WNBA games along with um, NBA games. And I, and I watched the, the Phoenix, New York game the other day, which is a bit of a blowout, but Mercury. Uh, it was so, it was, it's very refreshing to see the NBA as a whole, not just some players who have always been a champion uh, for the WNBA um, really ride for the, for the WNBA in this particular case. And a lot of interesting narratives going there. Um, a lot of really great basketball being played um, and I think it's kind of cool to see the NBA reduced to a form in which it seems more equitable to the WNBA experience for playing in like the same stadiums. I've never, the presentation is totally different. It really makes that. So I guess what I'm saying is I, I appreciate that. And I, I think that people should really tune in because if you are a fan of the NBA as a whole and the sport, there's some unbelievable basketball happening. Watch the mystic, the mystics, the aces, the, yeah, the Aces I, logo, by the way, whoever does the marketing and branding for them, that's sick. I won't even get it to visually describe a logo. That's bad radio. But you should – it's like the, I, the team designs are sick. I told my dad, I was like – because I the only thing that I collect really are you know, NBA jerseys. And my dad said the other day, AJ, what's your next NBA jersey going to be? I was like, I think it's going to be a WNBA jersey. Uh, I think I think in May, like an Elena Deladon or a Tarasi or a, maybe going back old school. This is before your time. Teresa Weatherspoon or Cynthia Cooper or Tina Thompson. Maybe even a, the only Los Angeles jersey I'd ever wear. Lisa Leslie, probably Lisa Leslie, who I still have a crush on to this day. But that is the note we're going to end this podcast on. Eddie, thank you so much for being on the pod. We will have you back to talk about yeah. the Celtics and talk about. Uh, 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 their facial hair and deuce and every weird Celtics Twitter thing. They're the funkiest team in the NBA. Jalen Brown saved their hides. We would be in a much different spot. We would have been much more glum if Jalen Brown hadn't uh, balled, bailed them out and balled out. As always, you can listen to all episodes of Fighting Fire with Fire at soundcloud.com slash fighting fire with fire. Follow us on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the AJ Road Show. I would give Eddie the option of uh, dropping his social media, but I don't think that he's really in the mood to drop his social media. Are you? Eddie? No, no, it's, it's, I, 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 as a member, uh, as an employee of the state, I, my, my, <laughs> my, my, my Twitter cannot be public. Um, and for, for Eddie Brown, I'm AJ Rose. Um, thank you for listening to Fighting Fire with Fire. Fuck Rich McConnell. And we will talk to you guys next time. Cheers. Cheers.